The following episode contains content on sexual violence that some listeners may find disturbing. Discretion is advised. Please note that the contents of model mentality are for informational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on model mentality. Hi, I'm Dr. Ali Sharma, a psychiatrist and mental health advocate. And I'm Bridget Malcolm, an international fashion model. And this is Model Mentality. We created this podcast to open up the dialogue about mental health in the fashion industry by exploring the lives of models through the lens of their personal mental health experience. Each episode, we will invite a leading fashion model to sit down to chat, going behind the visual imagery and what you may know of their external life to take a deeper dive into who is actually behind the mask and at the real struggles these models have faced. And in our Let's Get Clinical segment, I'll explore connecting the dots between our guests' personal stories and the larger mental health context. Because at the end of the day, we are all human and our struggles are universal. Hit the subscribe button on the podcast and tell all your friends about Model Mentality. Please note this podcast is strictly for educational purposes only, and please consult your own provider for any mental health issues you may be facing. Kenny Sale is a model and actor who lives in New York City and used to play briefly semi-professional and professional indoor soccer before he began his career in modeling. He's worked with brands such as American Eagle, Zara, Target, Nike, Alex Morgan, and many others. When he's not working, he fills his time with soccer, chess, and personal projects. All right. Welcome to Model Mentality. Today on the podcast, I have with me again, Kai Braden as guest co-host. Hi, Kai. Hi. And we are going to be bringing on Kenny in just a second. But before we begin, Kai, let's go to our usual question. I'd love for you to tell us why you chose Kenny for this episode. Ooh, well, I knew you were going to ask me this question. (laughs) I actually just listened to the episode we released a couple days ago with our last guest, uh, Andrew Kang, on vulnerability. And uh, again, the same topic of masculinity and mental health. And, um, you know, it's a big question because this really sets up the episode uh, and interview for our our guest speaker for this, this episode, Kenny Sale. Um, you know, again, it wasn't hard to think of Kenny as a guest for this episode. Um, He's a seasoned model in the fashion industry. He's an active member of the Model Alliance nonprofit, and he has this warm, engaging energy. He lives in action and not just by his words, and he's respectful of women and all of those characteristics I find in, in my humble opinion to be a really true healthy form of masculinity well i'm excited to speak with kenny shall we bring him on yes all right so kenny can you hear us hey how's it going hi it's so nice to have you on the podcast thank you so much for having me yeah so i like to start um with one question that i ask all my guests so when you heard about this podcast from kai what interested you about coming on 
specifically that we're speaking about mental health and masculinity? Uh, I think one of the things that was most interesting and drew me to uh, the, the podcast, uh, the, the overall encompassing idea of, of mental health and, and how it relates to men, um, because I don't think it's a thing that's really talked about a whole lot um, or I guess really advertised to, um, to the general public. And um, I don't think men talk about it enough with themselves and with their friends. And I don't think there's like too many honest discussions um, that are happening right now that I think um, the podcast would be great and everybody could benefit from. Yeah. And since we're talking about this and Kai, feel free to jump in any second, you know, I know you recently spoke up about machismo. So can you just tell us your Mm -hmm. view and, you know, what compelled you to talk about it? I got the idea of machismo from back in college. It was a cultural anthropology class and we were doing um, a study on, um, I think it was, it was uh, some, somewhere in Mexico. Um, It's like a local province and um, our professor was describing to us about how um, machismo heavily influenced their culture and what a typical life or um, day would be for a man. And you have a coming of age where you go from a boy to a man and they coined it as, as machismo. And that kind of always stuck with me. And I would always ask my question, or I'd always ask myself the question growing up. It's, um, it's like, okay, what is a man? What are the ideals um, surrounding a man? What does it mean to be a good man and um, grow up into um, a man that would, um, that I could personally respect of myself. I would love to hear, you know, where you grew up. I understand mostly um, west of here, where I am in New York City, Oregon, and Arizona. And you were also a soccer player. So just tell us a little bit about your background and, and your childhood. I moved around um, quite a bit. Uh, family was working, and my dad was in the military. Um, I, I grew up mostly in Eugene, Oregon. It's like absolutely beautiful place. I would love to go back there um, someday. And um, I got really involved in uh, in soccer out there uh, from a young age. That was what I surrounded my life with um, until I guess I started modeling. So maybe until I was uh, probably 23 or 24, maybe. Um, grew up playing soccer there, did uh, high school club soccer. And then I ended up moving to Arizona and I finished my uh, final year of high school out there. And I went back to Oregon for a couple of years of college and um, unfortunately the head coach got fired. So I left, transferred to another school and, um, ended up finishing my college career back in uh, Arizona. And, um, that was kind of, I traveled back and forth and then I kind of started modeling as I was like finishing college and, um, from back and forth from, I guess, Los Angeles and Arizona, I was playing a little bit of semi-pro and professional indoor soccer, which was unfortunately as well, uh, short-lived because I guess modeling got in the way. Uh, so right when I joined uh, the professional team, Ontario Fury, I was playing on the reserves and I ended up um, getting picked up by an agency in Milan and I left for fashion week. And then, so as I was uh, modeling out in Milan, um, I was there for a couple months and I came back and then I ended up trying to contact the coach again. And he didn't really, didn't really care because I was gone for a couple months. So I kind of gave up on the um, professional dream of soccer and I fully pursued modeling at that point. Okay. And what compelled you to leave soccer? I, I think in my head, I, I really wanted to do both. And um, I, I, I thought I could, I mean, modeling is obviously flexible and, um, 
I guess soccer wasn't. So I was kind of trying to prioritize that a bit. And then I guess as the modeling opportunities picked up and then I started getting some work, I'm like, oh, maybe this, you know, it could be an actual thing. And I think because I didn't go like to go play professional soccer right out of college, um, I kind of was was segueing my career, I suppose. And modeling and and acting seemed like a good opportunity. And so I kind of just fully dove into that um, and kind of gave up on the, I guess, the the aspiration of furthering my soccer career at that point. Okay. And I want to pick up on something, Kenny, that you said, Mm -hmm. just because I heard it probably because of I'm a psychiatrist, also my background, you moved around a lot. I also did Mm -hmm. actually not because my uh, parents were in the military, but because of like business and engineering and other op- opportunities that my father had. So, you know, c- curious about like someone in your family being from a military background, because that is a mm-hmm. culture of sorts and moving around. Like what was the impact on you? Yeah, it was also like family stuff too. Um, I guess my, because my parents were divorcing. So I lived with my grandparents for a few years and then, and then I was with my mom for like I don't know, six months and then my dad got custody. And, and that was also why I moved around like at a younger age. And then it was military. Um, he was stationed Arizona and then it was, he did the uh, army reserve out in Oregon. And, um, and we just moved around a lot in Oregon and then he got different work. And so we moved again, to Arizona, that kind of stuff. And given that your father was in the military, um, what how did that influence your view of masculinity um it was it was uh i guess like a a structured environment there was there were certain expectations i i think um i don't think he had any ill intent on it but i think you know further down the road uh stuff definitely affects you from a I guess, developmental standpoint whether that's something you're actively thinking about or not as far as the ex- expectations go um you have to be disciplined you have to be hard working um it, you don't you don't give up or quit easily. So let's go back to modeling then. So you, you remind me how old you were when you started modeling. Um, you know, I always forget. I, I feel like I, it was maybe 23. I was kind of just um, doing whatever with it. Nothing, nothing too serious at that point, but I think 23. Tell us a little bit about modeling, like what that was like for you to come out of, you know, playing soccer. It was an interesting transition. I think the first year I started, I, I was still in college at that point. I didn't tell any of my friends I was doing it. So I was finishing college in Arizona and um, some small startup agency picked me up out there. And we, I was essentially just doing test shoots and and nothing more. Um, I'd say like a few months into that, there was there was a job, uh, I think it was a pep- Pepsi job. And it was the first casting I'd ever had. And I was extremely nervous about this. And I go in and um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a table of like six or seven people. And um, the guy's like, all right, we just need you to smile. And I was like, I was obviously smiling. He's like, all right, you know, profiles back and forth. And he's like, all right, now give us your big belly laugh. And this guy was an English guy. So it was, it was like a little more, I was more, I was more taken aback. I wasn't used to um, meeting a lot of, I guess, foreign people. And, and, uh, and I was so nervous. I was like kind of shaking and I just like belted out this tragic laugh and they all like laughed back at me. And I don't know if it was like, cause I did good or like, I thought it was funny. <laughs> and I walked out of there and I'm like, wow, that was insane. I'm never doing this again. And, um, and I get a call like a day later that I booked the job and I was like, what? That's insane. Like, what do you mean? Like I booked the job for Pepsi. And, and so I kind of freaked out a bit. And ever since that first job, I think that kind of like, 
gave me the idea that like okay maybe this is like a thing I should I should pursue this a little more and that helped me transition out of soccer I mean hey if Pepsi wants to book you then I'm sure it's 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 a great big belly laugh that reminds me of um one of my my first casting in New York was for Burlington Coat Factory. And I, like you, just did not know what to expect or how to navigate through that. And I really approached it like a review. So I remember like reaching like past the cameras behind the table and like shaking the hands of every client saying, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to meet you. And any seasoned model knows like that's not, not the right approach to um uh going to a casting um you know it's really just staying in your lane and taking photos and doing your profiles and charming them and then getting out of there but um yeah it's 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 always funny to hear different people's first experiences into the fashion industry so kenny and i had met um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I, I believe the first time we met and the first time I really um, saw you and got to know you was at a protest for um, the Model Alliance or on behalf of the Model Alliance, which is an advocacy nonprofit that uh, fights for fairer and safer working conditions in the fashion industry everywhere from garment workers on the factory floor to runway models. And um, we protested outside of the Victoria's Secret uh, store located in Herald Square. I actually don't think that um, specific store exists anymore in that location, um, but it was a call to action in ending the systemic sexual harassment and abuse um, by L Brands and uh, specifically within the Victoria's Secret um, community. And we we're really pushing the RESPECT program, um, which was created by and for models of the Model Alliance. And it's a law-abiding code of conduct to ensure fair and safer working conditions for models and creatives. And Kenny was there. This was just before the pandemic, the lockdown hit. So um, Valentine's Day 2020. Um, and for you New Yorkers who are listening and all East Coasters, Valentine's Day, um, mid, mid February of the East Coast, it is cold. So with our red noses, yes, red noses and red cheeks, we were uh, protesting outside um, and really just trying to um, cause, um, create change and cause an uproar outside of, of the store and, um, you know, fighting for fair treatment of um, the Victoria's Secret Angels um, and other uh, workers um, in that company um, for a better and safer atmosphere. And it was really inspiring and uh, really just a, a great place to nurture and network new relationships. And that's really where I, I recognized Kenny's um his his warm energy and and like i said in the beginning of this podcast he lives in action and not just by his words and that's not the only time that i've personally witnessed kenny really um stand um for a greater purpose than than himself so in terms of modeling what are what would you say is your um, you know, most interesting job or something that you found to be, you know, 
full of surprises or not as expected um, in terms of modeling or, or a job that um, you just like to share that you've really enjoyed? I think this is my actual first job in Los Angeles when I got signed with an agency and, and officially moved out there. Um, and it was a job for Nike and it was as a soccer player and I was so excited about it. And um, I had no idea like what to expect. I hadn't like been on like a, a big set, like the Pepsi job was fine, but it was just like a print shoot and it was, it was like a smaller crew. Um, but the Nike thing was, they made it, uh, I mean, I mean, there was a, uh, probably like three different teams of people they were shooting um, basketball um, soccer and I can't remember what else and um, we were we were on a field out at some high school in Los Angeles and and I just basically played soccer for I would say like 12 12 hours and I was like having the time of my life and they had no idea that I was like actually a soccer player so it worked out like really well they thought I was just gonna kind of dribble and they figure it out and post edit um, <laughs> but I was having a great time and uh, that was like definitely something that was a, a bit like life changing. Like I got to see the, the background of everything. And, and um, when I saw the final edit, I was like in a stadium dribbling against uh, an entire team, taking a shot at the end of it. And um, um, it was, it was crazy. It was a, it was a surreal experience and um, it's definitely something I will never forget. So that, you know, that's interesting because also being an athlete um, and model, I find that a lot of times I'll go to a casting and it's clear that they're looking for somebody who's very comfortable on camera that kind of knows the sport that they are highlighting in, in the print ad or, or in the commercial, um, but they're clearly, you know, looking for a model. On the contrary, I've been to castings where they're casting athletes who can are relatively comfortable on camera but their skill set is what is being highlighted um and it's rare to find somebody who is you know n understands their angles on the camera and lighting and and understands how to work on set but also has the skill sets and it sounds like that's it's clear that nike had booked you uh for both of those reasons yeah it was it was cool man it was it was um it was an experience for sure that's amazing and then you said the second job um was something that really stood out to you because of the location oh yeah a um super fortunate um it was, it was a job i was shooting for uh, american eagle um it's quite a bit ago it's our winter campaign and we we got to fly out to canada we went to uh, banff i don't know if you've ever been there or heard of this place um it's like a fairly popular tourist destination but the location was absolutely incredible um we got to shoot at lake louise and it wasn't frozen over or anything at that point, um, but it's an absolutely gorgeous lake uh, that gets its water from, from a glacier. And um, just like exploring like a, a different area of the world. And uh, I mean, I'd, I've, I've traveled before, I had traveled before, um, but I'd never like experienced, I guess, nature in like that kind of way. And um, one of the shots was you end up taking a helicopter and you're going out to uh, shoot on top of the glacier that, is supplying the water um, to this lake, and it was a pretty pretty cool experience, I would say, and um, it's an absolutely beautiful place. That's that's one of the best things I think about our career is the ability to go places that we would have never gone mm -hmm. ourselves, and I am 
you know, with all the trials and tribulations that we have to endure as models and even male models as well, um, being able to travel and also make new relationships have been really the best, best things about our career. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. And Kai, to counter what you're saying, I know, Kenny, that earlier in your career, you had a more challenging incident and you've come forward about a workplace sexual violence. And it's something that we've talked about on this podcast in this series as well uh, with Kai, um, with our guests before as well. And I'm just, you know, curious, I like to focus on like the impact that trauma and traumatic experience have had so that we can teach other people, right, that they're not alone and that they can get help, right? A lot of people suffer in silence and especially among men, right? Because of these traditional stereotypes of masculinity, like I need to be independent, I need to be strong, I need to be self-reliant. You know, men do experience sexual assault and yet they're less likely to seek out help because of these traditional stereotypes. Um, So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, we don't need to go into the incident itself and you can speak about what you're comfortable, but how this experience of sexual assault in the workplace, how this impacted you. And you could talk about it, you know, from a psychological point of view, functioning, how it affected you wanting to show up for work or otherwise. I, I definitely like what you said. Uh, it's, it's difficult for people to come forward and, and talk about. And I would not be here today speaking with you or anybody um, if I didn't hear the stories of other men who came forward and talked about this stuff. Um, so I, I am forever indebted and grateful to those people because I think I would be in a much worse place if they never came forward and had the courage to come forward with their stories. No, exactly. I mean, these stories have been so hidden, right? And I yeah. think there's, you know, I mean, you, you guys can tell me, but there's a lot of shame. I definitely agree. Um, uh, well, side note, aside from my story, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a friend come forward and he had, he had heard about my story and, um, and he kind of confided his message in me and he's, he was only comfortable telling me because he had heard about like the incident that, that happened with me. And that, that kind of like, you know, it was like another light bulb. I was like, wow, it's kind of like how I came forward with all this stuff about my sexual assault. Um, and in the modeling industry specifically, um, his was just, it was, it was unaffiliated with the, with the modeling industry. He has no relation to it. Um, but this thing happened to him and he didn't know how to talk to anybody about it. And he's, he's a straight guy, his girlfriend. And, um, and he felt comfortable enough to tell me the story and trust me with it. And, um, that, that, that definitely gives me more strength to go forward and speak out more about this stuff. And it was also one of the influences behind getting on the podcast. Go back earlier to when it happened. I mean, do you recall, you know, in the, let's say in the immediacy after it, how you were impacted? Yeah. So it, it was pretty surreal at first. I think I, I didn't really register. Um, I think I kind of just pushed it to the side and continued on with my life for, for about like a year. And it started to affect my, my personal life. Um, I was, I was dating somebody at the time and um, you know, I feel, I feel really bad for her. Like I never like talked to her about it. And, um, and once I started feeling bad about that, I realized like I am feeling like guilt and shame, like, like you said, and, and you start to try and rationalize all these things about um, being sexually assaulted. It's like, well, you know, maybe, 
maybe I was, I was too friendly or something. And um, I think that's like a common theme. It's like, well, maybe, maybe I like let him on or I don't know. Like, yeah, you start to doubt all these things about what happened. And, um, and that also in turn brings apart like the fear of ever speaking out about it. Like, well, what's this going to look like? And then I start to process all these ideas. Like, okay, if I come forward, like, what are my friends going to think? What would my family think? And um, what, how, how is it all going to be interpreted? Like, are, is anybody going to care? Are they going to believe what I'm saying? And um, I think that those thoughts uh, definitely spiraled. And I would say I, I, was, I was definitely going through anxiety attacks. And, and I, was, I was really down. Um, it, was hard to, it was hard to get the motivation to like, go to a casting or, or get out to a job and then feel comfortable. Um, you don't know like kind of what, what you're stepping into. Um, maybe it's going to be a similar situation that happened. And, um, and, and you start to lose like trust in people and, and like uh, humanity in general. It's like, well, if this is such a highly gar- regarded person, everybody in the world loves, uh, how, how can you, how can you trust any of these people? Who can you trust? Uh, and then, uh, yeah, it, it's like a, it's a very cyclical nature and, and, um, uh, it's, it was very hard to process. It's so hard too when it's in the workplace, right? Because then, you know, it's a common traumatic reaction that you fear it's going to happen again or you avoid situations where it could happen again. But if it's your work, it's really difficult. Especially when you're, you know, newer in your career and you're still trying to navigate, you know, what's right from wrong and what's normal and and then, you know, you Absolutely. question, you, you step back and it's interesting to hear that, you know, it took you about a year for you to process it and, and finally, you know, start moving forward with the situation um, and accepting that it happens. Um, and I would say the same for me. I mean, it took me almost three years um, for me to mm-hmm. get over the shock and accept that it happened. And and then start to heal. Um, But there's definitely some sort of buffer zone between the incident and the process, the starting stages of of healing. Um, I know that I noticed that's a common thing among um, those who've confided in me who have have also gone through similar sexual assault experiences. And um, I think as a man in particular, um, you know, we have these stereotypes and stigmas that um, somewhat inhibit us from moving forward quickly. Um, is this real? Is this happening? Is, is, is this really going to be a defining factor in my life? Or is it something that I'm kind of just going to forget about and, and just move on? Um, is that were those, you know, certain things that you felt you really, had to face in terms of moving forward with um you know your process of healing or how do you you know and when we think about mental health how do you feel like the stereotypes that you grew up with that you were you know speaking about earlier on this episode about machismo um get in the way of working on on your mental health and well-being i think it greatly impacted impacted me and it, it... I, yeah, it took me a year to process, but I didn't speak about this until maybe it was like four years after when I went and talked to um, Vanessa Friedman at the New York Times. She was the she was actually the first person I had ever told a complete stranger, which was 
pretty bizarre. And after that, like, I, I definitely noticed some changes in my in my mental health. Like, I, it was it was it was a huge relief to finally talk to somebody about it. And that definitely began the healing process. And the hardest part, I, I kind of what we were talking about with machismo, um, is that I, I okay, I, I need to, I just need to get over this. Like this, this is whatever, you know, this isn't a big deal. I don't need to tell anybody about it. I can just deal with it, push through it, and um, just keep moving on with my life, even though it sucks and I'm miserable. Um, and those ideals, I mean, they're ingrained uh, from, it's a, it's a cultural thing. You grow up with it. You, these are the things are taught in um, any given community. It's, it's how your, your parents raise you or, or whoever you grew up with um, or the community that you grew up with. Um, and having those things ingrained in me, I, I think was, uh, it was really tough to get over. You have to process not processing. And so it's what it felt like. And I think that makes it, um, exponentially worse in, in the long term. What was the trigger that uh, pushed you or enabled you? The New York Times is the first uh, person or place where you felt comfortable sharing your story. Um, I, I remember that day I was, I was like, I was having a bad day. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I was depressed for like a a few years. I don't know if it was that or it was PTSD, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was this specific day. It was, it was really bad. And I think it was specifically bad because there was a bunch of, um, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on in, in the Me Too movement um, a few years back. And I, I remember being really upset. I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw, I saw a picture of uh, the person who sexually assaulted me with a, um, with a famous actor or actress and um and then you know i click on the profile and i'm checking it out i'm like wow like everybody loves this guy you can read all the comments and there's all these you know these famous people who love this guy or they wish him happy birthday and i'm like man this is messed up like do they know do they know like what kind of like monster this person is uh and then i think about like how how many other people is this happening to like what else has he done like that that was not a first time thing. And then I, I didn't really do anything at that point. And then I, I um, so I think it was, it was Jason Boyd. I originally saw, um, he came up with a story briefly after I was scrolling through Instagram and I was like really upset. And I was like, well, if this guy's going to come out about his experience and um, make a claim, I mean, and he's, he was, he was done modeling at that point. I think he's, he's, uh, he's quit and moved on. Uh, he's got family and kids and um, he finally spoke out about it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. That happened 20 plus years ago. I can't imagine what he was going through. And I am still like so angry and anxious and, and depressed and life is so difficult. I, I think it was the rage that like really set in. And I just furiously emailed people. It was, must've been like two or 3 AM. And I reached out to a couple of different um, news sources in like a, I don't know what you, what you call it. Some sort of like uh I don't know, um, rage, rage syndrome. I was so upset and I wanted some kind of like vindication. I wanted, I wanted something. I didn't know what else to do. I think I was kind of at my wit's end at that point. And um, so I shot out some emails to some complete strangers and um, just pretty much put everything in this email. And then I got a phone call the next day. And 
yeah, so that's that that was kind of how I started, and that was the, that was the trigger, I guess. Well, you as well as I had really felt the momentum of the Me Too movement, and while I'm not one to really jump on the bandwagon for any sort of cultural um, uproar that's happening, um, I too had unfortunately experienced something that had changed my life and when I saw other brothers um, speak up in their experience it felt like it empowered me um, and enabled me to speak my truth and and be freed from it as well Um, and it sounds like that momentum um, helped you as well and also enabled you to really channel into that anger, that emotion that empowered you to start reaching out to people to see how how you can move forward and move on with your life. No, and I also wonder, because you were saying, like, you start questioning yourself, like, what did I do? Is this my fault? Did it really happen? It's confusing cognitively sometimes for a lot of people. I hear, I hear that a lot. And then I wonder, it's like if you feel heard, and understood that's so validating right with something that you've been struggling with internally and that has been disrupting your ability to be you for so long i remember talking to um, vanessa friedman and i was telling her the story on the phone you know she asked for my exact experience before before really telling me anything and um, i described it to her and she's like oh okay this is a legitimate story um i've spoken to several other people and this is pretty much exactly what what, what has happened um, so you should know that and know that you're definitely not alone. And there are other people who have come forward and who are coming forward. Coming forward with my story publicly. Um, this was in 2018, the articles published, uh, through the advocate and I, my sexual assault experience was in 2006. Um, so between 2006 and 2018, the only few people that knew about the incident were a couple close friends, my therapist at the time, my agents and my parents and, uh, and my sister. And, um, it was very, uh, painful, but also liberating to have to go into detail about what happened. It was almost like I was taking responsibility for not the fact that it happened, but the fact that it's a part of my life. And if I really want to move on with my life, I have to accept that it happened and have to really just refocus my outlook on on life and my perspective and um, doing that with somebody I didn't know on the phone interviewing me for a legitimate news source um, was uh quite an experience and and something that I felt was necessary I had to open up that can of worms to fully and vulnerable vulnerably to um really just heal I mean I think that's what you'd have to do at the end of the day it's like you, you have to talk about it you have to accept it that was that was one thing you said it was really important you have to accept that it happened and that was something that I struggled with for a really long time like yourself Yeah. And so whether it's um, speaking with a friend, a loved one, a professional, or speaking publicly like you did, Kenny, the point is it's 
good to not keep it inside, mm-hmm. right? And to connect with others about it and find support. And there's value in like saying the words out loud and telling people about your experience. So for those of you listening out there, if you're you know, struggling with how to vocalize what you've been through, you know, my view as a mental health practitioner is talk about it. And if, it, if there is a lot of shame and embarrassment and difficulty, then, then talk to a professional. You know, that's what we do. And we do it safely and in a safe space. So Kenny, I described why I felt you were a great candidate to be a speaker on, on model mentality, specifically in the series about masculinity and mental health. And, you know, I introduced you with what I feel um, really makes you uh, a healthy, masculine force on this earth. But I wanted to ask you what you feel, you know, there's not really any right answer here. What does masculinity mean to you in this day and age? Um, And also the stigma of toxic masculinity, has that been something that has you felt you've had to fight as a stigma, um, whether that be just, you know, as a man or as a male model? Um, So masculinity, I think it's, um, I think it's always, it's always evolving. um, And I'm always trying to discover um, myself more and and ask that question uh, of myself and of my peers uh, quite often. I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being masculine, um, masculinity in general. And um, um, it's about being a good person, um, your service to others. I think that there are, there's good um, validations you can you can um, find amongst yourself within those roles. Um, it's about standing up for what you believe in. Um, I, I do believe in, in working hard and perseverance and, and not giving up, but, but to a point. I mean, you brought up toxic masculinity. Um, I think that you can derive some of those features in a, in a negative way from, from masculinity. Um, obviously in a, in a controlled way that they, they can be very positive and um, they can influence your life in a, in a great way. I mean, I believe in personally, I believe in, uh, in chivalry. I, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that if that's what some, somebody values. Um, but that, that goes both ways. It's, it's not just towards women. You can be a chivalrous man to, to another man as well, or anybody for that matter. Um, so I think when, it, when you boil it down as a, as a greater generalization, it's about, about being a good person and being confident in who you are and um, supporting um, the people around you. I think that's a beautiful way to describe masculinity in a very authentic way. And knowing you for the past few years, um, just really seeing you live uh, in that light is is truly a pleasure to be around. And I was just at dinner with a friend uh, last night and we were discussing how 
we feel you are who you surround yourself with and and the people that you um, engage with in your life on a consistent basis. Those are the people that really affect you on how you live your lifestyle, how you communicate. And I think, uh, you know, I agree a, a healthy form of masculinity is is being there for the community, being chivalrous, being kind, being respectful and uh, being authentic and in, and in, um, in who you are and how you want to communicate with others. So given that, um, how would you define, Kenny, tox- toxic masculinity, given your experiences that we discussed? So I think with, um, with toxic masculinity, um, I, I was actually talking to a friend about this um, recently. And there, there's, there's certain like toxic traits that I think everybody has. And I don't think toxic masculinity ought to be um, limited to to just men there's there's you can you can take any of these these traits and and um what will be defined as perhaps masculinity when you combine them all together um and you can you can give them to anybody and um i i i think that they are just toxic traits in itself and it depends how you were raised how you how you how you grew up it's like it's nature and nurture and there's I think it's um it's it, it's a more systemic problem of of uh society and, and just having toxic traits um you know you can be a extremely jealous person you know that's a that's a toxic trait and that goes for for anybody it's man woman child um and I think uh, you have to figure out what being a toxic person is to you and um after you figure that out and you can understand what traits are unhealthy for you and your peers, um, I think it's a lot easier to define yourself, whether you want to be masculine or feminine um, and really who you're going to be. Yeah. It's interesting just to read a, um, a definition. So this is from the journal of school of psychology. They use the following definition to explain toxic masculinity. And they say, quote, the constellation of socially regressive masculine traits that serve to foster domination, the devaluation of women, homophobia, and wanton violence. But then there's other definitions that say it's a term that, yeah, that describes masculine traits that can be applied to any person, like you're saying, which I like, that have a certain kind of, you know, certain themes, you know, strength, lack of emotion, self-sufficiency, dominance, sexual virility. Um yeah. And, and I think, I mean, I like what you say because I think came up with Nick Kai when we had um, that interview. So perhaps it just refers to the worst traits in people, right? The things that, you know, deviate from what is kind and, you know, what is integrity mm-hmm. um, and the values that you guys are talking about. And perhaps um, taking, you know, masculinity, the sense of strength to an extreme of self-serving. All right. Well, let's segue to the final question. So, Kenny, if you had 50 million Instagram followers, what would you like to tell people about mental health or masculinity and mental health? We need to have more conversations about these things and that it's okay to talk about them. I think that everybody can benefit from these things, not just yourself. And the more conversations we have about these things and these issues, um, the more everyone can move forward um, 
can develop as a as a society as your peers everybody can can move forward and and um, when it comes down to it i guess become better people kenny and kai thank you so much and kai i've really enjoyed our conversations this series on masculinity and mental health it's really been a pleasure to work with you yes thank you for giving me the opportunity to um come on as a guest uh speak speaker and uh find our awesome guest speakers um like nick and andrew and now kenny has just been um a real pleasure and having this discussion and uh one overlying theme i've really realized is um how important it is to have these conversations um and through our brotherhood and sisterhood um we can really move forward in healing and 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 finding these bonds that um only bring us uh closer and um and we can continue to live a life of um true understanding and appreciation of each other no oh, absolutely and like what Kenny said, like Kai, what you've said with Andrew, you know, if you're out there and you've experienced sexual violence in the workplace, sexual assault, and especially if you're a man who's been influenced by traditional male stereotypes, like, first of all, it's to be vulnerable as a strength and it's okay to seek out help. You are not alone. And there are a lot of people out there who you can speak with. And just like you heard in Kenny's story, you know, when he actually, it's like the power of the voice, when he actually disclosed what happened and the way he did, it felt good. It felt like a relief. It's a release to talk about things, you know, and you can find a safe space or you can listen to our conversations and think about what your next steps are to, to connect with someone about it. But if that's, um, if, if we can leave you with a takeaway, that's the takeaway to talk to someone about what you're experiencing. You can also find model line style org slash support as a great resource for those of you who um, do work in the fashion industry, whether it be on the modeling side or the creative side. Um, and then uh, the respect program that I had mentioned earlier in this episode, uh, more details of that can be found at modelalliance.org slash respect. And Kenny, um, where can our listeners connect with you? Um, I, you can connect with me on Instagram, uh, just at Kenny Sale. Um, S-A-L-E. And um, uh, last thing I guess I wanted to say, if, if anybody is struggling with, with, with speaking out, um, my, my personal experience was I was always kind of concerned of what my friends or family would think. And if you are struggling with something like that, um, the one way that helped me is, okay, well, you know, I, I'll tell my story. And if those people don't want to stick around and they think ill of me, then, you know, I, I probably don't need those people in my life. And um, uh, that kind of helped me with, with moving forward. Uh, but yeah, I guess thank you so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I loved coming on to uh, be able to talk with people about these issues that are not so commonly discussed. Now, let's get clinical. This is the last of our episodes in our Masculinity and Mental Health series. And I want to give you my takeaways from Kenny's story and focus on the power of speaking up. You heard in Kenny's story how he struggled accepting that he experienced sexual violence. He said himself that, quote, I just need to get over it, end quote. And part of this statement was informed by what he felt he should do as a man, how he felt he should respond as a man, which is to try to push it behind him, to try and get above it, to try and stay tough despite the meaning of it. But after four years of trying to push it away, 
it did not go away. It weighed him down. It made him feel down, having not told a soul. And when he finally found the courage to speak the words out loud, the relief came and then the healing process began. So let's stop here. So many people that I've worked with clinically are running from themselves to get away from painful experiences. And this is understandable. However, the impact of a traumatic experience usually shows up in ways you may not expect. Even if you try to push it away, it can affect your mood. It can affect the way you think. It can affect how you feel. It can affect your relationships, as Kenny had mentioned in his story. It can affect your ability to show up for work and for your life or for whatever you do every day. It does have an impact. And men, due to traditional stereotypes of masculinity, which can mean anything from self-reliance to staying tough to not wanting to be vulnerable, men often don't seek out help because of this. Well, Kai, Kenny, Nick, and Andrew, and so many more of us are here to tell you that if you are carrying such a burden around with you, please talk to someone about it. This can be a licensed professional. This can be a trusted friend or a confidant. It will help. There is power in releasing what you're holding inside of you. And you will start to heal as Kenny did. I can't say enough. I'm honored to have spoken with Kenny and Kai and to hear Kenny's perspective on sports, modeling, and the power of speaking up after a traumatic experience. Many people struggle with trauma, workplace sexual violence, and getting help. And we want you to understand that you are not alone, that there is power and connection in speaking up and in asking for and receiving help. I'm Dr. Ali Sharma. Thanks for listening to Model Mentality. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Clinical by Dr. Ali. Please check our show notes for references and more information on this episode. As always, if you are in crisis or you think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you're having suicidal thoughts, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. What you have heard on Model Mentality does not represent what would take place during a psychiatric assessment or an actual therapy session. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Model Mentality. If you like today's content, please subscribe to Model Mentality or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. Model Mentality is brought to you by Mind Studios.